0: Many men, good evening, good evening, good to see you this evening. And those online, welcome, welcome. A couple of announcements as you are opening up your Bibles to a new book we start tonight. And I know for many, it's exciting for you to start the book of First Samuel. First Samuel, we'll be into that tonight. A couple of announcements as you're turning there and getting settled in. VBS, right around the corner. Uh, don't forget, 21st, 22nd. Pray, 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 pray for outreach. For the kids to come, to kids to invite the kids to come, and all the helpers and the, the doers behind the scenes, uh, making sure that all happens. Even if you're, you can't be a part of it, be pray, pray, pray. We ask for your prayers for all that and, and encourage uh, through the radio station as we do outreaches through there to let them know about the VBS on the twenty-first, twenty-second that uh, kids will come and uh, we can minister to those in the uh, community. Also, coming even quicker than that is this Saturday is the Ladies' Brunch, uh, this third Saturday of the month. And uh, so, uh, ladies, come, 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 invite, bring a friend, bring someone who's not part of anything like this. It might be ministering somewhere else, or going to church somewhere else, but they'd, they haven't, haven't got a Ladies' Fellowship kind of thing to come together invite them to encourage them to come it's uh, this saturday from 10 to 12 here at the church and uh, that's the little pink flyer grab that hand that out uh, to ladies so that's the only announcements i have i know the guys were going to be while the ladies are doing that we're going to have a work day and doing some uh smaller less uh now'm I'm, sh- I'm not sure how to call it but it, it work so uh it will require uh your dirty clothes so <laughs> there's some things that uh lighter smaller projects that uh, doesn't require a lot of physical uh, but then there's others that uh, will be uh, require a little bit more of uh, shovels in hand but not as bad as it was uh, a couple of the times but that's it that's all the announcements we have and we're going to be right open up here first Samuel as we pick right back up in the Old Testament, here on Wednesday nights, we have a lot to cover here in Chapter One. Let us pray, Father. We thank you again for your Word. We thank you for allowing us to gather here in person, online, and for those listening in the days ahead. Holy Spirit, we ask you just to illuminate your Word, uh, reveal clear and clear of what you want to clear, uh, you know provide and feed us by your word this evening and nourish us spiritually and help us to grow and mature not only in our love for you and understanding and knowledge of you, but uh, our desire to serve you, a desire to follow you, a desire to surrender all to you. <clears throat> have your way with us this evening as we have ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us this evening and how we can meditate, ponder on what we'll be learning this evening in the days to come, Lord, to minister to our hearts and to be used, to use what we learn tonight to be able to minister to others that you bring across our paths. Uh, have your way, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Tonight we pick right up here in First Samuel chapter one, and we will see. I titled it Samuel's birth because that's the the, the main focus here this evening, but it sets the pattern for the remaining. Tonight we start this new book that took place 1100 years approximately before Christ came on the scene. And it's the book or books that we see here in 1st and 2nd Samuel that were written around that 11th 11th century BC. They're called the books of First and Second Samuel, not because Samuel wrote the books. They describe his great ministry that God called him to and for Israel and the legacy that it left all the way even to effect even today for us to read it. Many scholars believe the prophet Samuel, Compiled the information, and then provided it to a couple of guys, maybe Nathan, uh, Nathan and Gad, who were who wrote it down and brought this one book together for us even today. Because remember, during this period of time, First and Second Samuel formed one book in the very beginning in the ancient Hebrew manuscripts. It wasn't until they divided into two books when they d- translated the Old Testament in those manuscripts of Hebrew into the Greek language that those books became two separate books of first and secu- second. It originally was only one book. Now, it's interesting because as we look here, of potentially of who wrote it and compiled the information that we see another clue of the timing of this, because Samuel was born around 1105 B.C., and David was born close to 1040 B.C. in the scriptures, and since the book covers this history, it's likely that this was compiled and written during or just after the events that we will be reading in First and 2 Samuel. Now, when you take a look at first, uh, first Samuel, it covers about 94 years from Samuel's birth, which we will start tonight, to the death of Saul. And that will be about a 94-year period of time. Now again, we don't know who wrote the books, but certainly Samuel was a major contributor of these books. But much of the books taking place after his death, because we'll see his death takes place around chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. So the remaining of into the rest of the book, including 2 Samuel, was composed of and contributed from other, uh, other sources. But the one thing is very clear for us that we do not lose sight on when it comes to who wrote which book. We don't put so much emphasis as, on this as much as the true author of all books and the all books is the true author is the Holy Spirit and that who writes the Bible. That is what how we receive the scripture. How he provided that to which men and women to provide the necessary input. That is how the the spirit of God and that will be a mystery to us all the way through. We only know what we know based on what the scripture tells us. Now you and I will be taught many lessons. Many lessons are taught through the 1st and 2nd Samuel, especially in 1st here, because the lessons gleaned from the lives of Samuel will teach us much. The, The lessons through the life of David will teach us much, and the life of Jonathan, and the life of Saul. All of those characters that we will see in the scriptures will teach us many lessons that will speak to your heart. It always does. Samuel was used by God as a transitional leader, God raised him up for a time like this. He will be the last of the judges of the judges period going into the first king's period. I should say first king's, the book of first king's, but the king's period that God brings about. Why? Because Samuel didn't deliver the people from a physical bondage. He wasn't like the other judges where they, God raised them up to go and free them out of captivity and bring them back. They were not; It wasn't like that. He was a judge or a leader, a transitional leader that was raised up to deliver the, the people spiritually. To bring them back to God. And he was a godly man who ministered to the people in the difficult days of the transition between the judges and then King Saul or the kings that reigned. Now, many people say, oh, God didn't have a plan for them to have kings. No, no. We know in the Scripture that, yes, God did have a plan, and that was always from the very beginning, that God would use kings from judges to kings, and it lays out there that would, again, bring them through a period of time, through a transition, ultimately, to receive Jesus Christ as their king of kings. Now, 1 Samuel shows the importance of letting God have the greatest influence in your life. We all have to make a choice in our life in some of that kind of a sense. What direction or the way are you going to choose to live your life? That's what these books will will challenge you with. You will either will choose the way of Saul, which is a very self-service way of living. Everything always about you and what you, how you want to serve, and the way you're going to serve, and no one gets to tell you anything unless what you want to do. It's a self-service model. Or you will choose the way of David, which is a God-service model. You will serve God however God leads you, and to ask you to do, and to be faithful in doing that. But the way you choose, the way you and I choose, will you choose to be God-service-centered, or will you be a self-service-centered will determine the impact on your life and the life of those who are closest to you. It will always impact your internal, uh, eternal impact, but it will also have an, an impact on others around you in this life to be. So we pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it brings about some of the key uh, characters in this first chapter. It says now there was a certain man, of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkum, Elkanem, or Elkanah, or the son of Jerhem, or Jerhom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other name of the other was Penanah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So here in the very beginning, we start off by a certain man. A certain man coming out of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was El- El- Elkanah. Elkanah is a key factor or key character here because he's going to make decisions that are going to impact the rest of the story here in many in many aspects. But it's a strategic time, it's a strategic place in the history of Israel. And God began his plan as he almost always does, and that is with a person God raises up and to be used for a work of God. He always will raise up a man. Yes, God could have used and did the work himself. He could have used angels. He could have used a number of other means, even a donkey that we have seen in the scripture to do the work that God needs done. But normally, the method that God uses is to raise up a certain man or a certain woman, in this case, this certain man, to work through him for the work of God. Elkanah means God has created. He was a descendant of Zoph, or Zoph, yeah, and his family line shows he was a Levite. Interesting. Because we just talked about the fact that he was you know from an Ephraimite. But we see that he was a Levite based on first Chronicles chapter six, verses sixteen through thirty, and he is called an Ephraimite here because his family lived in a Levitical city of the boundaries of Ephraim. Remember, God, when he was splitting them up, they didn't own land. They had certain cities that the Levites were to go and to minister to the people. He was one of those families of the Levites had to go. He was planted, his family was planted in the boundaries of Ephraim, not because he came from the tribe of Ephraim. He was a Levite who was planted there to minister to the people of the Ephraimites. Elkanah had two wives. Which brings up the topic of polygamy. Polygamy was a fact of life in the ancient world. However, the Bible never puts polygamy in a favorable light. It always, when you see in the scriptures of polygamy of multiple women or multiple wives, there's always strife and there's always conflict that results and characterizes this life of polygamous families in the Bible. The Bible does not say it's okay. It just records for you and I of what was taking place in those times. It doesn't condone it. It doesn't support it and doesn't encourage it. Matter of fact, we see in Scripture it leads to always destruction and division. Now these two women were had an intense relationship no surprise and it's very conflicting but it's also a very competitive relationship between these two wives of Pinanah who had children and Hannah who had no children. And in those times when a woman didn't have children that was a very 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 bad label that was placed upon her because Everyone believed God sealed or closed her womb because of something she has done that goes against God. That is not true, and we will see it played out in Hannah's life. God's timing, God's way is always perfect. We may not always understand it, and we will see how this plays out here, but those two wives were having some conflict and problems, as we will see. Verse 3, and we'll take, let's say 3 through 7 here. This man went up from his city, Elkanah, yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. That is where the tabernacle was at this time. Also, the two sons of Eli, uh, Hophni and uh, Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penanah, his wife and to all, to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb, and her and her rival also provoked her severely. Her uh, revival, did I say revival? Her rival also provoked her severely. So Peninnah was always poking her, always say, "Are you pregnant yet?" Are you pregnant yet? Why don't you have a baby? You know All these little pokes that the enemy can use to bring against people. To make her what? To make her encouraged? No. To make her miserable. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Very severe moment for Hannah in our story here. But her husband, Elkanah, loved her and always gave her a double portion to show favor to her while they were going through the process of of sacrificing and having that meal. Because according to the law of Moses, Israelites could not worship God through sacrifice at any time and in any way they pleased. They had to go to where the uh, the tabernacle is, in this case, into Shiloh. And so they were always to bring the sacrifice to the tabernacle, to the priest, which at that time was in Shiloh, which means a place of rest. Temporary home to the Ark of the Covenant and, of course, the tabernacle. Now there, because of the tabernacle, the high priest at the time, Eli, and his two sons... Those two sons we know historically were not good sons. They were wicked. They were not doing God's way. They had the position, but they were not good spiritual leaders at all. And these were the priests of the Lord at that time that God allowed. And these priests were mentioned by name because of the notorious wicked priests. We see that in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel when we get there. But their mention here shows how godly Elkanah was because even though those priests were wicked, that they were not good priests running the tabernacle very well, he still came with his family yearly to sacrifice to the Lord. He came with his sacrifices. He still gave to the work of God at the tabernacle. He still did it regardless how wicked the priests were and were not doing it God's way. But they brought the sacrifice to the Lord knowing that this wickedness of the priest did not make his own service to the Lord invalid. He knew it was still valid by coming and worshiping and sacrificing to God. And what was going on around him didn't matter. That was the most important. He was to come to show up and to to sacrifice and to worship God, that because he came to worship God, he didn't come to worship the the priests. He didn't come to worship these these Eli and his sons. He came to worship God when he came to the tabernacle, and that is true for us. You don't come. For, for me as the pastor, or, or Steve as a pastor, or any one of the leaders of the church, you come to sit here and to be worshiping God, and to give and to sacrifice, to, to give to God in your worship. That is why you come. And so we see here, that speaks of the character of this man, Elkanah. And he gave his portion. Elkanah brought his family each year to the tabernacle. He did the sacrament. He ate the ceremonial meal at the tabernacle, as we see in the scriptures, with his family. And because we see the fact that he gets a portion back after sacrificing, he gave portions to his to his wives and his children to show his favor to all of them, yes, but to especially a double portion to Hannah. And but even with that, with the double portion to Hannah. And the fact that she was there to worship God, and and she went there, and because of the situation and the conflict within the house, within the household, her fellow wife, Peninnah, was still poking her, and still really being very cruel and mean. And because of the conflict between these two wives, Hannah could not enjoy the, this this display of love from her husband or display of love even from God in the favor of that, from Elkanah, he, she could not enjoy it. It's because it is, it is possible for problems to be in your home and to make your time come to the house of God. And when you come to the house of God, you can't enjoy it because you're miserable because of the conflict that's happening in your house. And that is Hannah. Hannah is at the house of the Lord. She is able to, to worship God. She gets a double blessing, a portion from her husband. And everything should be good and joyful. She should be rejoicing. But no, she's absolutely miserable sitting in the house of God. Why? Because things are not good. It's not right in the home. Because God in his wisdom, for some reason, closed her womb. And beyond Hannah's painful trial through having her womb closed and not knowing why there was a purpose for God to allow this to happen. He is in control. He knows all things. He's all powerful. He is has a plan for everyone's life and he had a plan for Hannah and it gets rolled out here as we will get to see. But she didn't know this. Elkanah didn't know the plan. They just knew that God closed the the womb and, and she wasn't able to have children. They didn't have all the special tests and all these other things that we go crazy with. They just recognized God had closed her womb. And so God used this trial of a closed womb to accomplish something great in Hannah's life. And to further the whole plan of salvation through this plan. This wasn't to say, we're going to teach you a little lesson, Hannah, to grow closer to me and to, to learn and to, to change and to grow. and mature. No, no. God's plan was, through this, would be the plan of the whole plan of salvation was becoming through her life. That is an amazing plan. She didn't know that. We get to know that. But even though through things which were in the hand of God... God had the things in control and was still in charge of the whole thing. It seems strange to to Peninnah, who seemed of having a very bad character, a a very not a nice woman, who was blessed by God with children, because if you had children, it means you were blessed in those days. And Hannah, who seemed to have a very good character, who loved God, was cursed in barrenness. And often we don't understand God's ways until he completes his plan in that one person's life. And those all around him. It reminds us of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. To hold on to this, if you find yourself in those situations, like, Lord, why are you... Blessing those who seem to go against you and are not nice and not a good carry and, and I'm trying to be faithful to you. And why do I don't see blessed? Remind you of Isaiah 55, eight, 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has ways that you and I are not going to fully understand why he plays that out. Like Hannah, like Hannah, many of us will have a dark adversary who likes to provoke and to poke us on every place, every point, even on our way to the house of the Lord. You're in the car driving to get to church and the adversary will use someone or something to poke you, to bring you down so you're miserable and you can't enjoy coming to worship God and just to serve God. You're always, uh, the adversary is a dark adversary. It will always come against you. And so don't be surprised that Satan will do the same to you and I as, as God. Uh, Satan was using uh, uh, Peninnah to go against Hannah here and always the poke, poke, poke on your way to church. That's some of the biggest challenges for people. Is the night before Sunday or that morning? Everything seems to be just fine. Everything seems just great in the house, but it's a Saturday night or Sunday morning, boom, something happens. And the fact that Satan continually tries to keep us from fellowship, because he does, to keep us from the, the what God's called us is not to fa- forsake the fellowship. The enemy's right in there and say, oh no 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 no. I, I know God wants to bless you when you gather together in your, with the people and the, uh, the church gathers together in a, one place. God wants to show up and bless the people as you worship them. No, 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 can't allow that to happen. You're way too on fire for this God thing. I'm going to need to squ- quench that fire a little bit and I'm just going to bring someone along to poke you to, to get you diverted and your conversion and, of just off of away from God and on to the situation. That's how the enemy works. Because he doesn't want us to be in fellowship with other believers. Because when God draws us to gather in his name and with one another, in fellowship and in unity, God shows up to bless the people and bless you with great and wonderful things that were going to happen. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. That's why I always kept telling you, keep showing up regardless how you feel. Because the enemy will kind of keep you away from it. And if you can get you into your feelings... Boy, he will keep you away from the fellowship and God blessing you in in that time. Verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? No. No. Elkanah? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so you've got to get your mind straight. She needs a son, and ten son and you are not going to not meeting that need. Her emotional needs is in the son, not even even ten sons. No, no, no. So, when <laughs> so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. She got up. She had to. She heard her husband say that. She just got up. And she got up to. I'm not listening to you, old man. I'm not listening to you anymore. This, this is crazy. And so she rose. And after they finished eating and drinking, and shout. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, where he should be. He should be watching the sheep. He said, "High priest, he should be watching everybody." So he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I hope that's what he was supposed to be doing. And what happened in verse ten? And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord, and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Speaking of the Nazarite vow. That's a, that's a serious commitment. Now, think about this in verses 8 through 11 here. She's sitting there after a meal. She hears her husband ask her these, these four questions, right? Why do you weep? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart grieved? Isn't I, am I better? Am I better? I, I'm blessing you with double portion and. Providing for you? I'm not enough? Then compared to ten sons? And she says nothing in response. Zippo goes quiet on him. Why? Because those were not questions he should have asked. Elkanah's response to, to Hannah's sorrow, we see, is that he really did love her. And he was trying to help and encourage her and say and, and, and trying to find out the why is she so um so miserable, so grieving, so but yet like sorry guys, like many men, <laughs> uh Alkanah was lacked the emotional impact or the insensitivity of understanding his wife. And he opened his mouth and said questions he should not have asked did not recognize that she had needs he could not fully understand the desire to be a mother is very very deep he couldn't understand that because he can't bear a child but for a woman it's very deep emotions and he didn't get that and so what happens Hannah did the exact right thing. She didn't go off on her husband. She didn't start just losing it. She went quiet, and she went in prayer to the Lord. That is the answer. In any time someone says something and they didn't get what you're going through, don't respond. Just go to the Lord. And so she, we see that she prayed to the Lord, and Hannah was, yes, in bitterness of the soul, she was so bitter. Who was she bitter toward? Was it her, her husband? I'm sure he, they were trying to have a child. She was bitter because of her other the other wife, Pinanol. But also toward the Lord, too, I would expect. Because there was great anguish because she didn't understand why she couldn't have a child. and she, But she did the right thing. She still did the right thing here. And Hannah took those bitter and painful feelings to God honestly and sincerely in prayer. She took it all to God. She gave it to the Lord. And we see here in the scripture... O Lord of hosts, it means Hannah began her prayer by calling out the Lord of hosts. It's, it's spoken of that language is spoken about 245 times in the Old Testament. And it speaks of the Lord of the mighty armies. It means God has the strength and mighty armies. He's going to come in and protect me and he's going to lift me up and he's going to fight my battles is really what he is. When you cry out to the Lord of hosts, you're crying out to God who is going to come and do the battles for you. You don't have to fight against flesh and blood. You fight against principalities in the darkness of this world. And Hannah felt attacked by her rival. So she called on the Lord of mighty armies to be her protector. She did exactly. What she should have done. And in that process of. Pouring out her heart to. The Lord. She didn't ask why. She made a commitment. She made a vow. Hannah promised her son. To the work of the Lord. Vowing he would be a. Not just Oh, he'll do some things for you, Lord, at some point. I promise you, I'll raise him up. I will dedicate him to you. I promise, and I'll raise him according to your ways, and teach him your word, and teach him how to pray, and teach him how to, to, to worship you. I'll teach him everything. No, no, no. She went all to the way to the nth degree. Remember, he is already a Levite. He was already dedicated to the work of God. He was a Levite. He was already born into the family to serve God in church. He was already dedicated. He was already dedicated to the tabernacle. She says, I will devote him even further to the point of, of Naz, uh, to, to be a Nazarite from birth. She says here, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head, she says. She's going and saying, I know what number six tells me when it comes to the Nazarite vow. And I'm committing this child, if you give me this male child, I will commit him to the Nazarite life. That means she only gets him for a very short period of time. And then he has to go to the tabernacle and be discipled up and raised up as a Levite to do the work of God. That means, from birth, I'm not ever going to cut this boy's hair. I don't need my little golden locks and put it in the baby book so I can... No, no. I will never shave that kid's head. This child will never be near anything, any product, grape product. (laughs) No grape, no vine product, nothing. No nice, sweet-smelling grapevine lotion is coming near this boy, let alone the drink. Or popsicle of grape. Nothing. What that speaks of, I'm committed as a mother to make sure that boy never stays away from all fleshly pleasures. That's what it speaks of. Some people think of it as just stay away from the grapes and wine. But it's away from all fleshly pleasures. That's the vow. It's also taking no part in any mourning of the dead. That child would not come near and mourn about any dead body because the dead showed the corruption and the fruit of sin and he is to have nothing to do with it. That vow means as a Nazarite, you focus completely on the joys, and yes, in and the sorrows of life, but you are never to be near the dead. Touch a dead body also never cutting the hair because of the public display of this child is dedicated for to be a Nazarite and typically the vow if you remember when we studied this Nazarite takes a vow it's for a short set short period of time to do that Nazarite vow but there are only two men who were Nazarites from the very beginning of birth and who are they One being Samuel, the next one being Samson. That was a very unique calling upon their lives as young men, or from birth, as babies. But she says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. This child was already, again, dedicated as a Levite. But because God regarded the tribe of Levi in his own special possession here, she's saying, I'm saying, this is from birth. This is not just a Nazarite and, 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 and dedicated from as a Levite from ages 30 to 50. We're not talking he's just going to do a Levite thing and, and serve in the, in the church or serve in the tabernacle from ages 30 to 50 for that short period of time. No, no, no. He is going to be dedicated to serving from, from the age of young age all the way up. Committed completely. That's what she is saying. A greater dedication to. To God, it could have been easy for Hannah. Just give me a male child; she's dedicated. He'll be dedicated as a Levite. He's going to serve you, Lord. I just want to have a male child. No, no. She took that and said, "I know he's already dedicated, but I'm going to go deeper. Dedication for the Lord to draw out. Uh, to, you know, the Lord really put a, put that on her heart to draw Hannah even more to go to a deeper commitment a deeper dedication of the Lord with this commitment of vow. Now we see in verse 12 and 14 we see it and it happened. that's those are key words <laughs> and it happened. What happened? as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart only her lips moved but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now it's interesting as we read this, why did Eli think that she was drunk? Just because all you can see is the fact that her lips were moving. She must have been distraught. She must have been a little bit of sh- disheveled, a little bit. She was in anguish. She was in pain. She was crying, weeping, and crying. She was a, a mess. And he's all he's seeing from a distance going, she's she, and the lips are moving, and no sound. And like is she drunk? She has to be drunk, which speaks to me and to you. What was going on in the tabernacle of those days? That must have been a common thing to see people coming in drunk. People doing all kinds of crazy things. Why? Because it was the time of judges. People were doing whatever they felt like doing. Look at him and his sons. They were all messed up. And so he's sitting there going, it's no surprise. I'm just going to call you out. How long are you going to be drunk here? Like, that was a common thing. Like, he's calling it out. Put away the wine from you. You you, you seem like you're a mess here. But she continued praying. Those words in the language means she multiplied. She was praying without ceasing. That's what she was doing. There was no stopping her praying and seeking God at that moment in time. We have just a simple Mention here, uh, kind of a summary of Hannah's prayers, a little something simple, but it says that she was continuously multiplying up prayers nonstop. Now, it's 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 often good to pray out loud. Because it can help us to better focus our thoughts by praying out loud. But yet in this passage shows that the prevailing prayer doesn't need to be vocal to pray. Effective prayer can be silent in the heart of one person. But Eli misunderstood what was going on with Hannah. He just drew a quick conclusion. Why? Because it probably wasn't unusual to see someone drunk and hanging around the tabernacle. It speaks clearly, doesn't it? What was happening in the age of that time. Then what happens? In verse 15 through 18, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. I've been nonstop praying, just me and the Lord, just me and the Lord, nonstop, just crying out. I'm just coming and laying it all out to the Lord. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. The high priest responds, in a beautiful way. He like got it right here. The Lord said to him, just tell her, go in peace. And the high priest spoke, go in peace and God of Israel grant your petition. My prayer is he's going to grant your petition, whatever you were asking of. Because does she tell him what she was praying? Nope. Didn't it? There's no record here with what she told him. Just the fact that she was praying nonstop and pouring out her heart to the Lord. Well, whatever you were praying, may the Lord grant it. which you have asked of him, he says. Verse 18, And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Meaning, I really, really hope and pray. That's exactly what goes on. So the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Why? Because the Lord spoke to her, In this case, through the high priest of a blessing that God was going to answer and a piece of God had to come over her because before she couldn't eat. She couldn't think. She couldn't talk. She couldn't do that. but, But just bitter soul, deep crying out to God. And all of a sudden God's word speaks to her and speaks to her heart. And what is she able to do? She grabbed a hold of the promise of God. Whatever God... She walked away. She was able to walk away and eat, and her face was no longer sad. Her countenance now has been lifted up. Hannah did not accept Eli's accusation here and say, oh, you're the high priest. I'm I'm sorry. No, no, no. She clearly made a response to him and said, wait, 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 wait. I don't know where you're coming from. You're not seeing rightly here. And she only said what she was doing, she didn't give any details, because she didn't have to give him details. She, re- she knew who he was, I would expect. She said, I poured out my soul before the, the Lord. And Eli, God just said, bless her, go in peace, the God of Israel, grant your petition." Beautiful. Remember, because he, re- he represented God, did he not? He was the high priest. God spoke through Eli. Just like as we're pouring out our heart and we're reading the word of God, and the word of God speaks to your heart, God is speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit to you of the promises of God within the word of God. You can be joyful and lift up your countenance. You can now rest because God has spoken to you by the word of God. And now you have the confidence to continue to walk and wait for God to do what He wants to do in and through your life. See, uh, Hannah shows how we can regain the joy of fellowship in the house of the Lord. How do you get the joy when you come to church? How do you regain the joy of fellowship in in the house of the Lord again? by pouring out your heart before the Lord and by receiving his word with faith. By receiving his word with faith. You don't see how this, she didn't see how how this all going to play out. But she had faith. She had faith in the word of God spoken through the high priest of Eli that this was going to be okay. So what happens? Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. I mean, they, they got intimate. And the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, What? Why did he name Samuel? Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Great name. Because she asked. See, Hannah could genuinely worship the Lord now in faith. Because while the promise was still not yet fulfilled, she had that glorious pattern of just hearing from the Lord, having the faith. And the promise from the Lord and holding on to that. And that lifted her up to be able to now joyfully or to genuinely worship the Lord in faith now. As she was that morning before they left. And at that point in time, because they came to the Lord again, we see as they return back home to get back into the routine of things of life. They still a husband and wife, still a healthy husband and wife relationship. And during that period of intimacy, the Lord remembered her, meaning he didn't forget her. It's a, it's a, it's a way for a term remembered is a way of God's um, expression of action in human terms for you and I, that we can understand that he was involved in that intimacy to make it work according to his plan. In this case, she was able to now conceive. God answered her prayer. And it came to pass in a process of time. How much time, we do not know. But swear in that period of time, of the intimacy between husband and wife, and the promise there, he fulfilled that promise of bringing forth and bore a son. It didn't happen right away. It didn't happen in her, 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 her timing. It wasn't in her control and Elkanah's control. It wasn't some medical, get, get the doctors, they can control this and make sure I get pregnant. It, no, no, no. God is in control of this. He designed it. Hannah had reason enough to be discouraged, yes, but when the promise of God was spoken to her there at that moment, she did not lose faith in the promise that God said she would have a child. She's a great example, is she not, of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Those who through faith And patience inherit the promises. The promises of who? Of God. His name was Samuel. It means ask of God or heard by God. It is a beautiful name that that, uh, Hannah gave to to her child here. And verse 21 now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifices and his vow. Again, it's been a period of time and he's going back up. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, "Do what seems best to you." So he was in agreement with her. Wait until you have weaned him. Only now here's the here's the the boundaries to his wife. I hear you. I hear what you're asking. I am in agreement until he's weaned. But only let the Lord establish His word. Meaning, don't back away from your word from His word. And make sure you move forward to do this according to God's word. Don't do it your way here. Don't take control. So the woman stayed and nursed her son. A nurse, again, meaning care for raising that son up where he can survive on his own. He's not, he's not a baby here. To nurse her son until she had weaned him. So in that culture, a child was usually not weaned until around two or maybe sometimes three years of age. So in the original language, when you look at that word there, it can speak of infant all the way to adolescence. So some believe about three years of age, she took him. Some believe he was more like a 12 or 13. That's when she took him. We don't know exactly his age. But in that period of youth that we will see in this word that use, I lean toward an older child because the child had to be able to serve and to start being discipled up to, to, as a, to, be a, to, to be a Nazarite, but also a Levite, to serve God. A three-year-old, they would be taking care of a three-year-old. There's not much you could do in the tabernacle as a three-year-old. You'd be more of an, an issue. So I lean toward an older youth than a younger baby younger child but this was a wonderful counsel from uh elkanah here he said do everything in obedience to god so we may see his word established among us that's all his i know wife i hear what you're saying and i know you want to wait and you're not going to go up there because you want to make sure he's ready and he's old enough to, to wait but he's he made sure she understood Whatever we do, do everything in obedience to God. We must do what his word tells us. Let it be established that when people look at our lives, we did it according to the word of God. That's what. Just make sure you don't lose sight of that woman. Don't, don't lose sight. And then finally, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bowls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, And brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. See the word young? Has a tendency to be a younger, not a baby, not an infant, younger child. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, "O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord... I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him. not He's not on lending. Lent him to the Lord as long as he lives he shall be lent to the Lord. So they So they worshipped the Lord there. So we see that this was not easy. This was hard for Hannah and Elkanah to take their youth, their child, this son, Samuel, and follow through with the vow that she made. That God blessed her through that. That was personal cost was tremendous for the two of them. But it was evidence of the godliness of these two, the parents were. They dedicated their child. And she took three bulls. So the fact that in First Samuel in verse twenty four here mentions three bulls brought to Shiloh, but in verse twenty five it only talks about one being sacrificed. With some of the meat available for the fellowship for the meal, for the worship and the sacrifice. They get to have a meal together here. Emphasizing of one of the bulls was obviously specifically made as a burnt offering. Why? Because that bull would have been the burnt offering for the cleansing and the consecration of young Samuel to do what God's called him to do. And she says, I also have lent him to the Lord. I made myself, I've presented everything. I've presented, I made myself to present for the Lord. The idea is that Hannah owned the child. No, no, no. She didn't own the child. She was saying, I... Have your child, God, and I am now returning him to you. You allowed me to raise him up to a point where I can wean him off. Now I'm returning your child back to you for you to do what you're called to do in his life. Instead of the idea that the child is her prayer... Or the fulfillment of her prayer, she was saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for answering my prayer. Thank you, thank you for fulfilling that prayer. But I recognize this is your child. The name of God, Samuel, called to do, and we will see in the remaining of the book, books, our favorite book our favorite book. Isn't this a, your favorite book already? This is, just, it's, you know why it's a favorite book? is because look at amazing just in chapter one alone. Why? Because at the very end here, chapter one, I love this. It finishes it. It says, they worship the Lord there. Worship is repeated, is a repeated characteristic of this family. They worship before they went. They worship there. They're worshiping when they got back. They were a worshiping family to, to, of God. Even in difficult situations, they were worshiping God. Even in joyful times, they worshiped God. They showed up regardless of how they felt. They could worship their Lord because that is who we are to worship. Praising God on the day you give your little son away may not be easy. But it is praise. And God is pleased. Even as we are told to bring, what we in Hebrews thirteen fifteen, bring a sacrifice of praise to God. That's what God calls us to do. Amen? Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Continue to speak to our hearts in, in this evening and the days to come of the things you're teaching us. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are speaking to all of us all the hearers and may it draw them closer to you and may we all be worshipers of you regardless of our situations of the highs and lows may we worship you day in and day out of the rest of our lives in Jesus name amen